So Moses rightly guided us that today we are thinking of hope for the future. And in order for us to think about that well, let's come to Psalm 118, reading only three verses, verses 21, sorry, four verses actually, verses 21 through to verses 24. I will give, th- I will give you thanks for you've answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, we ask that your word will bring us life and light. Amen. So today we come to the end of our 12th week sermon series called Unshakable Hope. If you've been with us throughout the course of this series, I want to assume that you now have an idea that we've based this series on Tim Keller's latest book, called Hope in Times of Fear, the Resurrection and the Meaning of Easter. Now, here in this last chapter, here in chapter 12, Keller comes back to the original question. He comes back to the very question with which he began this book. And the question is, how can we have hope in times of fear? Now, let us be reminded that Keller wrote this book in the midst of COVID-19 pandemic. While on the one hand, he was confronted with this global pandemic, he also, on the other hand, was wrestling with a personal turmoil. He had just been diagnosed with cancer, and so he was busy looking into his life, thinking about what to let go of and to keep on with as life now is going to change. Now, not in the book, but he tells a story in some of the interviews that he did that regularly him and his wife would look at each other and just weep as they find themselves in this space of drastic adjustment. However, that's not going to be our focus. It's just a window into his personal life. The focus today is the fear that affects us all in which he writes this book in the, in the context. So you write this book at the time when the entire global village was engulfed with fear and anxiety. It was a time when fear went global, or as one writer puts it, when fear went viral. It was a time of global crisis. Robert Kretsch defined crisis in the following words. He says, when the future is unpredictable, when the future is uncertain, when the future is called to question. So it was the time in which Keller wrote that book. He, he wrote this book in in order to help us as people to get our feet back, 
to face this future, of course, without denying its uncertainty, but to face it with hope in God. It was Francis Schaeffer who wrote that famous book, The God Who Is There. That's what Keller is trying to do. He's writing it to the people who had the carpet pulled under their feet. The last time we know it, we were standing. And the next time, we found ourselves with our backs on the floor. The last time we know it, we were going to Mauritius for vacation. We were going to celebrate that exciting anniversary. And we were told to stay at home, to keep the masks on, to social distance and sanitize. And so that's the kind of people he is writing to. So how to have hope in times of fear? In fact, somebody else said, the worst purchase I made in 2019 was the planner for 2020. And uh, you know the story, because 2020, none of those plans came to fruition. That's the context. I hope you get the picture of uncertainty, of anxiety, and fear. How then are we to have hope in that time? As a way of responding to that question, I have two propositions to make. And both of them, they are counterculture. And by that I mean they are not the kind of answers you would think of when you are looking for hope in times of fear. They are counter, they are contrary to what you and I would naturally go towards. Nevertheless, they are biblical, not just biblical, but they are Bible saturated. And they are gospel-centered. And again, by that I mean they don't let you and I focus to self and self-reliance. But they, 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 they expose that we are unable actually to protect ourselves in the times of crisis. Therefore, we are not the people that we should be relying on in times of fear. They are what Paul refers to in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. In my weakness, his strength is made perfect. So here is the first one. The first answer to how we can hope, have hope in times of fear. One is that we must face up to our mortality. We must face up to our mortality. The second one is... We must begin learning to walk again. It seems to me this is the good place for us to begin. You see, because this is exactly what the virus did to us. The virus reminded us about the uncertainty of life. It reminded us of our mortality. It reminded us that we are more fragile and vulnerable than we would like to accept. 
So therefore, it is a good place for us to begin from as we wrestle with finding hope in times of fear. The virus reminded us that we are easily, we can easily get overwhelmed and perplexed. The psalmist tells us that our lives is like chaff. You know what you do with chaff. You throw it in the, in the air and the wind blows it away. The psalmist tells us that our life is like water that spilt on the ground. What happened? It drains away. Our lives are like a dream that is forgotten at the breakfast table. Our lives is like a flower of the field that flourishes and fade away. Our lives is like a sigh, which is just a puff of breath, and it's all over again. And James, in his letter, gives us a more exposition, or a comprehensive exposition, about the condition of our lives. He says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, and spend a year there and carry on a business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that as it is. You boast in your own arrogant scream. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do, it is sin to them. So the scripture makes it clear that we are not in control. We are not in control. We are more fragile. More vulnerable than we realize. Now, let me balance this up. It's easy to listen to this text and feel depressed and begin to wonder if is there any meaning or purpose to my life. And I want to remind you that there is good news for you if you have that question. You see, because God's aim for these words at the center of the Bible is not to make us feel small and insignificant. But rather, these words are there to equip us and make us wise. They are there to help us to learn to live wisely and well in the brevity of life. That was Oz Guinness who said those words so beautifully. And he continued to say, given the brevity of life, we need to learn to lead examined. We need to learn to look deep within ourselves and ask ourselves, are we, in, are we in, the, in the place where God wants us to be? I was listening this week to a Jewish chief rabbi, Jonathan Sachs, talking about happiness in the perspective of Jewish people. 
And he said, we don't live as Jewish people in pursuit of happiness directly, but we pursue holiness because we know that our happiness comes at having a good relationship with God. When our lives pleases God, then we find our happiness. God puts these words there for you and I to live wisely and well. Again, the psalmist says, teach us to number our days so that we may be depressed and feel insignificant. No, he doesn't say that. Teach us to number our days so that we will gain the heart of wisdom. So that we will know how to live wisely and well in the brevity of life. Life is short that we know it's not new because of COVID. But what COVID did, it made us realize it woken us up from our slumber. Of thinking that we are immortal. Of thinking that we are indispensable. We are in control. No, we are not. James tells us you are not in control. You don't know what tomorrow holds. That's not the truth we love. It's against our ego. It's against our pride. Yet it is the most gospel and biblical sentence. Truth. In the early 1930s, C.S. Lewis was lecturing at Oxford University. At that time, there was a war going on. And one of the students went to him and said, Dr. Lewis, do you realize that there is a war going on? Um, there is uncertainty all around us. People are dying. We don't know if we're still going, going to be here. So what's the point of us learning li English literature from the top university in the world, from the top lecturers in the world. What's the point of coming to school and, and learn? And it is recorded that Lewis responded to the student and said, whether there is a war going on or not, every day is a good day to be learning wisdom and applying your mind to that or the other. Apparently, this lecture has been Googled million times in the course of COVID-19. As people are trying to wrestle with the reality of uncertainty, somehow they go back to the wisdom of the past. How did they manage the times of uncertainty? No, we don't stop learning because of uncertainty. Every day is a good day for you and I to learn wisdom. For you and I to get up and face the future, yes, without denying its uncertainty. You see, because there is always crisis in the world, whether we know or we don't know about it. There is always crisis going on. Every day is a day for us to learn. So that's the first thing that we, first response that we give to the question, how to have hope in times of fear. The answer, we shouldn't focus to ourselves. We should focus to God who is there 
The psalmist said, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He knows the past. He knows the future. He is God by himself. Therefore, that teaches us to live wisely and to live humbly. The second one is we must begin learning to walk again. The scripture tells us that in order for us to learn or to keep the faith and hope in times of uncertainty, it uses this walking metaphor which teaches us how to keep our faith and hope in times of fear and uncertainty. We see this walking metaphor throughout the scripture as an illustration of walking through difficult times and difficult seasons. The first one is, you know very well, not only in Psalm, but in Isaiah and in Lamentations, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That's the walking metaphor. I like the honesty of Scripture. It doesn't hide the fact that what you're going through, firstly, is a valley. Secondly, it's dark. Third, it's fatal. I don't think there is anyone who would invite you to come with, come with me. We're going to walk through the valley. It's going to be a dark one. And we may lose our lives. You want to come with me? No, thank you. But the scripture doesn't hide it. It tells us that it's a valley. It's a dark one. And it's fatal. As I was thinking about how to illustrate this, I thought of, we've all experienced this, metaphorically speaking, as we were walking through the pandemic. But the people who know it at first hand, at, at its literal sense, it has to be by far healthcare professionals. As they wake up every morning saying goodbye to their children and their families, going to work at the time when the health system is overwhelmed globally, at the time the hospitals cannot keep up with the numbers, they go there and they serve between the first and the second wave, Cheryl Stead and I had a privilege of working at Cecilia Makiwane. We were providing spiritual and psychosocial care for the medical professionals. It was such a privilege. And we had a section during the session where each individual will come up and share how have the pandemic affected them personally, and in their families, and in their work. And they come up and share how it has affected them. And one will say, of course, I got the COVID eventually. And then they will share the guilt of being the carrier of the virus to their families. And then they move and share the pain of losing their patients and having to confirm that so-and-so has passed on. 
And then they go to talk about the loss of their own colleagues. And as they share that one, you can hear the crack in their voices. You can see their faces becoming heavy and tense. And the room, the atmosphere in the room becomes somber. And finally they break down. And the least you can do is to get up and stand next to them. Because you can't embrace them. And you assure them with your voice and, and just assure them that you are there with them. You hear them and you feel their pain. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and whatever it is, they comfort me. In other words, yes, we can go through that, but we can still keep hope and faith. Where? Because of the sovereignty of God. Because he is there. And his rod and staff, they comfort me. That's the walking metaphor, which teaches us to keep hope and faith. But there is another image around this walking metaphor. The image is that of passing through deep waters. It says, I have sunk into the mire depths. Where there is no footing. And I have drifted into deep waters where the, f- the flood engulfs me. And there is another hint that we see again in the scripture which speaks of walking carefully on slippery and dangerous mountains. But the common theme in all these pictures that I've just given you is the idea of walking, not stopping but walking. Whether you walk through the dark and fatal valley, whether you walk through deep waters, whether you walk through dangerous mountains, you never stop, you continue walking. The idea of walking speaks of the idea of progress, which is big in the New Testament in our discipleship. Paul says to Timothy that they may see your progress and praise God for And the progress there is not you flourishing with material things, but it's you growing and becoming like Christ and becoming holy and humble and mature as you walk through these different seasons of your life. Keller says there is nothing more practical for sufferers and to have hope. The erosion of hope is what makes suffering unbearable. So two propositions and then we conclude. We are to learn to live wisely in the brevity of life. We are to learn to walk through the seasons that sometimes may be full of darkness. Nevertheless, we never stop walking. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. 
both of these propositions, they invite us to what I've called a Bible-centered, sorry, a Bible-saturated and gospel-centered. They make us not to focus on ourselves, but to focus on God who is there, who was there from the beginning, and who will always be there. And as I was praying, I read or recited, tried to recite Psalm 139, where the psalmist speaks about a number of patches that we go through in our lives. But something in com is common in all those different seasons is the presence of God. The psalmist says, there is no way I can go as a way of running away from your presence or running away from your spirit. Because even in darkness, there you are. And my favorite one is it's when it says, your right hand will uphold me. It is my prayer for us. As we make our way in these times of uncertainty, that we will know God's right hand holding us through those seasons. nothing assuring when your child feel uncomfortable and they come to you and hold on you. And that gives you an opportunity to say, daddy is here. Nothing will happen. Or whatever happens, we will go, th we will go through it together. I am with you. And let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess Many times we have relied on self. Many times our unhappiness comes from us pursuing happiness directly instead of pursuing godliness and finding our happiness in you. Remind us, Lord Jesus, today of the uncertainty of life, but even there, you are with us. And you remind us of us learning to walk again and facing the future with you. As we now come around your table, Lord Jesus, we ask you to remind us of what you've done for us, how you face shame and pain on the cross for us so that you may rescue us from our sins and bring us to you. So, Father, as we remember you through the broken bread and cup, we ask you to do that, to help us to do that with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name.